Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Jillian from San Francisco, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore because I have better things to do with my time. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Welcome to the big program. Number 140 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me is the lovely, dedicated, and wonderful co-host of mine, Brittany Page. Program. Program. Mm. It's the program. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And oddly enough, someone showed up on my doorstep today in studio in the palatial I Doubt It With Dollamore Studios in lovely, beautiful Southern California is Dr. Ryan Bell. What's up, guys? I don't know why I'm doing the crazy DJ voice. I don't know either. I don't know either. I just, I was hungry and I thought, I think I have friends that live around here. So I just like knocked on the door. Right. Well, what's funny about that is Ryan did, didn't just show up. He did plan to show up and uh, he shows up. And while we're waiting for Ryan to show up, we get a knock at the door and Brittany comes running in with this kind of excited like Glee. very ani- <laughs> yeah, animated. Oh my god! I'm like, oh, Ryan, Ryan must be here. It's about time. <laughs> she was not that excited for my arrival. <laughs> <laughs> and I walk out, and holy shit! It couldn't have been planned or written any better. Two Mormon missionaries. Yep. One white ginger and one black guy. Yep. Standing at the door, ready to convert me. Yep. To the Holy Church of joseph smith so we invited them in of course of course we invited him in offered them a glass of wine yeah they did not consume any wine yeah well thankfully because i only have three or four bottles i know we need that yeah no kidding well ryan you're already a bottle and a half (laughs) in right i mean (laughs) i sent my request ahead so anyway uh we had a great talk with these two kids these two young men who you know they're mormons they're obviously decent human beings who just believe in uh not logical stuff. So we invited them in, had a long talk with them for about an hour or so, and it looks like they may, and I'm I need to put a, a disclaimer on this, they may. I think they're gonna go back to their the higher ups and find out that uh no, they're not allowed. They may be on the show is what you're getting at. That is what I'm getting at. Just in a roundabout manner. Yeah, just very I'm trying to drag taking it out a long here. time. But what Look, happened We have an hour and twenty minutes to cover. I have to belabor my points. So we also 
we invited them to dinner or something if they don't want to be on the show because we like to invite the missionaries in and show that we're nice people. Well, we're atheists, but yes, we're nice people and we'll cook dinner for you and we like to have you here and we want to have a conversation and even though we disagree, we can do that and we can all's do it good. Agreeably and with a decent nature because we are everyone and this should go out to the entire audience that listen, you're a decent human being. It doesn't mean it, there shouldn't be some kind of uh, attachment to it. Oh, oh I'm, I'm an atheist, but I'm a nice person. Mm-hmm. You should just be a fucking nice person. Whether you're an atheist or whatever you are. Yeah, absolutely. So when they showed up at the door, oh, come on in. Can I get you a glass of water? You know, I did not from Coca-Cola or coffee or whiskey. My wine. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get any of your wine. Ryan's Ryan. wine. <laughs> <laughs> but but th- it really should be, and I'm not you know, up on my fucking high horse on the audience, you know, trying to pre- listen everybody invite invite them in but of course i'm going to be a nice guy and i think oftentimes they're surprised by it the mormons because right. they're ostracized and treated so shittily well and i was pretty direct in telling them like hey we like to have you guys over because I've heard stories about the mistreatment that you receive and people throwing things at you, you know, from their cars while you're on your bikes. And they're they're on a mission for two years. They're away from their families. Even if you disagree with them, invite them in, give them some water, be nice to them. They're human beings. Why can't we just be nice to them? I mean, and Mormons are known for being some of the nicest people that you encounter. And I think... It is winsome. I mean, a lot of people probably join churches because the people are nice. It's not just winsome. It's white and delightsome. Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. That one guy was very African. Yeah, he was not. Uh, and I was. Uh, we will get on this. I don't want to pre. I don't want to blow our wad relative to the conversation. But uh, Jesse's new favorite phrase, everybody. Well, I just talked about it off mic about Scott Walker. In fact, that's a perfect segue. We will get off of the Mormons. Get off on the Mormons, and we will we will uh, <laughs> we, we will move on to other matters. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. It is a big day. It's always a big day. Goddamn! The, listen, we say this every time, but. It, Every day that gets closer to the election in November of 2016, we get a little bit more aggressive relative to the candidates and the shit that they say and how many are entering the race. I think officially right now, there are 137 different candidates running for the presidential nomination within the Republican Party. Isn't that right? It's 16. (laughs) But we are nearing the first debate, which is on August 6th. And that's the most important part of this, right? Or the most exciting because it's the first debate. Well, it's also, it's important to see how they react under fire. Right. And, you know, Brittany and I were having a conversation today relative to exactly who is going to moderate these debates and how they're going to operate. Because when his majesty... Try getting it out. Go ahead. Donald Trump tries to come into this and when he gets forced into answering questions, I really want to see how he acts under fire because he's not going to be able to just launch these ignorant platitudes. He's going to have to answer questions. Right. Well, Megyn Kelly is going to be moderating the first debate with two other co-hosts. I think it's Brett Baer and someone else. So he's going to be having to deal with a female moderator. Right. 
where he can't. And Megan Kelly's not going to deal with someone saying, go ahead, get it out. Don't be naive. You're a very naive person. <laughs> or someone saying they're she's naive. Right. So I, I'm excited for that. The, the it's It's building this intense crescendo until my moment of ultimate excitement, Brittany. Right. I, that's very orgasmic talk, but it's a big deal. Yes. I, I'm looking forward to it. So this week, Scott Walker on July 10th, maybe not Scott Walker, but someone employed by the Scott Walker campaign inadvertently blew their wad announcement-wise and favorite released... Favorite phrase. That's my favorite phrase. In fact, you know what? It might just be a theme going forward. I might create a drop of me saying blow my wad just for you, Brittany Page. I'm so glad this is in video. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So they uh, launched prematurely. They <laughs> prematurely announced his seeking of the Republican nomination for the presidency of the United States on Twitter. Right. And then, of course, what do you do when you say something stupid on Twitter? You delete it. Well, he only sent it to 150,000 followers, so <laughs> no not big a big deal. deal. I mean, that's enough people where you can just go around door to door and say, hey, that's not true what you read on Twitter. That's just right. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Jeb Bush, who said, you know, I'm running for president, and then mid-sentence, back, that was my reverse sound, sound effect. Very poor. Thank you. You see? I can't win, Ryan. Would you put up with this? Mm, yeah, probably. No. <laughs> we are diametrically opposed. So anyway, that, that happened. So Scott Walker is now officially in the race. He did formally <laughs> announce in front of a crowd crying, you know, we want Scott, we want Scott, we want Scott. So as we do with all the candidates, we would like to cover... And it's a beautiful moment because now Ryan Bell is in studio. We can actually... Have a little dialogue, because I know you and I have relative differences in politics. You you voted for probably as many Republicans as I have in my life. Uh, no. I, no. <laughs> I voted for uh I voted for senior Bush. Oh, did you? The second time, which was the first time I was old enough yeah, to vote. That was uh that my mine too. That I was, was the Marine, first time Clinton won. I was in Marine Corps boot camp when when uh, he was elected. And I was a missionary in the Philippines, and I voted in absentia. Yeah, me too. And then watched Clinton win. You hear that, Brittany? He voted in absentia. I I, I submitted an absentee ballot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, that's what education does. Smart, yes. smart guy, <laughs> dumb guy with the power of a microphone. Well, wow. you know, we're getting ready to talk about Scott Walker on the issues, and he's the only presidential candidate that does not have a college degree. That did is you know? right. He did not have a college degree? That is correct. He is he is at least a semester from, from graduating from Marquette. He forgot to take his uh, public speaking course or something. <laughs> didn't, didn't finish his... I uh, think it was probably his public policy course. <laughs> maybe his economics course. I think it was economics that he failed. Right. Uh, why don't we address, first of all, his the, the, his foreign policy, since as governor of Wisconsin, he didn't have as much foreign policy as, let's say, Sarah Palin, who was only a few miles from the, the state of Russia. 
Right. So Mr. Walker has faulted President Obama for what he calls a lack of strategy in dealing with the Islamic State and said he would not rule out sending American ground troops to Syria to confront the group. Quote, we're not going to wait until they bring the fight to us. We're going to bring the fight to them and fight on their soil, he said. But he came under criticism for saying that of the Islamic State, quote, if I can take on 100,000 protesters, I can do the same across the world. He has said he would cancel any deal the Obama administration makes with Iran to curtail its nuclear program. This drew a rebuke from Mr. Obama, who told Mr. Walker to bone up, using a phrase that I think he got from <laughs> Jesse Dallimore, on foreign policy. Mr. Walker similarly takes issue with the president by saying he would provide arms to Ukraine to fight Russia-backed rebels in that country, and he opposes Mr. Obama's warming of ties with Cuba. So he is, to say the least, a hawkish candidate. Oh, my word. Yeah, it's it's pretty bizarre. It he, makes W look like a peacenik. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, here's the thing. Listen, I think everybody knows, one... I did serve in the United States Marine Corps. Jesse was a Marine, everybody. It is true. I don't know if you... I, I probably never mentioned it on the show before. We How thank I, you for your service. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And you too. You as well. In the service of our Lord. Yeah, so, I didn't serve in the military. So, <laughs> so here's my thing about this. Is, is, is one, to outright discount the deal that we're making with Iran right now out of hand without knowing the details is short-sighted because you're not a fucking psychic. You're not a prognosticator. You don't have some ability of cognition that the rest of it don't have. Shut your mouth. Let's see what the deal is. We'll find out, and then we can assess whether or not it's bad and what parts of it are bad. It's frankly dangerous. I, I think that kind of flippant comment out of ignorance can actually provoke future hostilities. When I mean, we're talking about global warfare like yes. this is not like you know inter congress debate or something well i would look at it this way and, and i don't know if you've if you've thought about it from the, this perspective but think about the fact that every four years people in iran and that region probably have to put up with radical assholes who are running for president and they're like you know oh yeah that guy the same way we would respond to a radical sheikh who says you know, whatever he says about bombing or attacking, or you know, like, yeah, we're like, oh, well, yeah, that's what they say. Except for a radical they shake. They could actually do yeah, it. <laughs> a radical shake, one, can, you know, independently do that. But also, they're not running for office to be the, the like an Ayatollah. He doesn't run. They just say we're the great Satan every fucking five minutes. So, but it is an odd thing. I bet you they're kind of accustomed to it. I bet you they're kind of uh, desensitized to the fact that. Every four years, they're going to be these Pat Buchanan types, right. although he was kind of more of an isolationist. But, you know, these radical conservatives who are going to say, we're going to fucking turn it into a parking lot. They're going to, they, they go crazy. Well, Pat Buchanan was the fringe, right? Yeah, for sure. Fringe. Yeah. And I believe Scott Walker to be the fringe. Mm, I, he he seems to be more popular, though. Well, that's where we find ourselves now that I'm it's the same the reason I need to go find a prescription for fucking Prozac because I'm wildly depressed that the the party that I used to You're cling fine. to, the party that I used to... be okay. I, yeah. Well, fuck you guys. You know what? <laughs> it's easy to say for people who are... Who are already on enlightened on the winning side of history? <laughs> Sorry, and I'm I'm clinging, and I'm some of this is tongue in cheek, audience. <laughs> Alexander is happy though. Oh yeah, Alexander from Denmark right now is 
he maybe has blown his lo- his wall. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, for, for Ryan's sake, the audience already knows, we have a listener in Denmark who who delights when he gets to to email in and tell me just how fucking wrong I am <laughs> about what the definition of socialism or anything else relative to democratic socialism. What you got wrong. In Scandinavia, yeah. Right. He's, he's an awesome, a super smart guy who I really hope runs for office out there because he's... He's got the right stuff. Yeah, we love him. He's got the wrong ideas, but he's got the right (laughs) stuff. (laughs) All right, let's move on to immigration. A pathway to citizenship makes sense, Mr. Walker used to say, but he has shifted his position recently. Of course. He now opposes citizenship for those in the country illegally and favors greater border security and enforcement of immigration laws, which has led critics to accuse him of changing his tune to attract more conservative voters in early nominating states like Iowa. Rather than embrace deportation, he has indicated in private gatherings that he supports giving immigrants in the country illegally an opportunity to earn legal status, but not citizenship. Hmm. And that's the past. That is, well, he's currently changing his tune, is what they're saying. That he's currently kind of flip-flopping, pulling a little bit of a Mitt Romney. Well, he's going to have to align himself with the likes of, you know, the the, the hairpiece, rather than a rational position. Because I believe, and and I might be disagreed here at at the round table. We need to clarify who the hairpiece is. I mean, we don't know who that is. We don't? Uh, I think everybody... The one and only Donald. Somebody's doing the raping, Don. (laughs) There you go. There it is. So it is, in like I said, I may be disagreed with here, but I do think it is a reasonable position to say that we're not going to give a path to citizenship necessarily right away, but we're going to give a path to legal residence. That's a different thing. Because being an American, and this might be exceptionalism or nationalism, which so many people discount, but being an American is a special thing. It's a different kind of thing. If you go live somewhere else across the globe... It is a different experience than it is to live in the United States of America. We have something beautiful and different here that many, many countries across the globe don't have. So creating automatically for someone who broke our laws to get here, here you get first in line to to citizenship. I do have a problem with that. However, I think that it is because of our broken immigration system, we do need to give some sort of... Uh, of of you know not an easy slide in but some sort of system in place to to create a a launching pad toward legal status so they're not living in the shadows so we can tax their income so they can become productive real members of our society well and maybe that's what's problematic because we're we're getting this information as we always do from new york times on the issues and they're saying that rather than embrace deportation he has indicated in private that he supports (laughs) giving them legal status rather than deporting them and rather than rather than citizenship in private so what does that mean that's he's not making that his official position yeah elections are so weird because you know they have to appeal to their base and so they have to actually go far beyond what they actually think to appeal to their base and then when they're actually in office they of course roll that back and take a very moderate position because they have to govern from the middle that's right so i mean even liberals do the same thing so you know obama promises to close guantanamo bay even though it's probably a practical impossibility that he actually could do that 
But well, that's what we want to see. In Obama's case, and I don't want to derail us here from the Scott Walker on the issues, everybody. But I do, I do think Obama really, I think he was idealistic enough to believe that he could. He could do that. Just yeah. march right in and, well, fuck, I'm president of the United States. I can do what I want. He has governed in a lot of ways, kind of like he can do what he wants. Whether you believe or not, uh, you know, he's executive action. That's not the way you govern as president. It's, However, Guantanamo Bay is still open. Yeah, and he's had one of the most ungovernable Congresses Absolutely. Of, of any president. Listen, I would be the first to admit that. Yeah, so I think he's been dealt a really tough hand. I'm always interested in how history deals with these presidents, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see. But Scott Walker, I, I think these... These presidential candidates, like like um, who's the guy from um, who's the Christian pastor from the South? Huckabee, Huckabee, Mike Huckabee. Yeah, like this guy. <laughs> like I can't believe anybody takes him seriously. I don't want to get us off of uh, you no, know, no Scott Walker. But. It's, let's do this, Vaki. He's a uh, he, he's a uh, he's a whack job. He's and he's more right now than maybe he's ever been because now he's he's saying to ignore the ruling of the Supreme Court, right? Ignore the system of the rule of law that we have. In if this anybody wants to institute a theocracy in America, yes. it would be, it would be Huckabee. Right. So we talked about the new kind of line within the Republican party, which is you're not for or against same sex marriage anymore. It's, are you for or against a constitutional amendment to the SCOTUS decision? And so we did a breakdown of all the Republican presidential candidates and how they felt about whether or not they wanted to challenge the decision or not and Mike Huckabee is at the top of those lists always right. because he wants to challenge well, it he's completely against it and it's just insane here's here's the thing is I used to we've, we've talked about it I know Ryan has been featured on our intro drop that he he never listens to the show I <laughs> do actually I said I didn't I think everybody knows. Ryan's super sensitive guy. You gotta. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. Is we've talked at length about the fact that I've developed a litmus test for the candidates, and up until June 26th this year, my litmus test was: if you are against gay marriage, fuck you. You don't get my vote. Right. And and now I've had to. I'm having to amend it because. Obama was against gay marriage. Hillary was against gay marriage. On the all record, of them. I've got the clips. It's yeah, for sure, all yep. of them. So, so I've had to kind of amend my my litmus test now, and I'm I'm it's in the process. It's not settled yet, but I, I'm coming around to because now it really doesn't matter if you're against gay marriage. It's the law of the land. Now it's if you want to constant if you want to monkey with our precious constitution over the issue of taking away someone's rights because the constitution is designed to protect rights the constitution's not designed to take away rights from people if you want to monkey with that system that hundreds of years old system no you don't get my vote and i would admonish everyone all of our listeners to ad to administer that same type of litmus test when they go to the voting booth. I mean it's the it's the tyranny of the majority that was trying to being protected against you know from the very very beginning that that you know democracy is great as far as it goes but democracy by itself doesn't protect the minority it it, no. it leaves open the tyranny of the majority to trample all over any given minority group and and I think that's where the bill of rights and the constitution come in to say every person has some inalienable rights no matter if they're in the minority or not that's why it, what we have is so beautiful 
And so perfect, it's imperfection really is the fact that it it can be changed. It can be altered. It's imperfect. So we're going to let it grow and evolve with us. That is the ultimate perfection of it. Let's, we're getting bogged down here. I apologize. Let's move on. What are this guy's views on the environment? Mr. Walker has not taken a clear position. Why, why does the New York Times insist on calling everybody Mr.? Well, that's I know, their editorial policy. I know. Listen. It's a very professional organization. Listen, it's, I, we, we've gotten tweets on this. Everybody corrects me that, oh, well, it's actually the formal way to do it. Why don't you stick to blah, 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 blah. I don't fucking care. He's a governor. Call him Governor Walker. Dickhead Walker. Is that what yeah, you well, want to call Yeah, well, they say Mr. Bush, Mrs. Clinton. It's She's Secretary Clinton. Okay. So Mr. Walker has, uh. <laughs> has not taken a clear position on climate change. He has proposed giving many of the powers of the Environmental Protection Agency to the states. As governor, he has proposed cutting funding for clean energy and for other environmental programs. And he has opposed, shocker, the Obama administration's efforts to reduce the carbon footprint of the nation's power generation sector. Here, here's the problem with a lot of that. One, the Environmental Protection Agency was founded shocker everyone by a republican by richard nixon oh i didn't know that yeah here here's the other thing is that when mississippi a very poor state doesn't have the money to fund statewide environmental protection and the wind blows over to alabama and the bad air from mississippi is poisoning the children of alabama you got a problem so there is a necessity for a federal institution relative to the protection of our environment, the protection of our clean air, the protection of our clean water. It does matter. This is coming from a softening, but still self-proclaiming conservative individual. You would you just stole my punchline. I'm like, boy, we're getting to you, aren't we? You're becoming a liberal. Li liberal over there. <laughs> your your people Damn are, liberal. They're very persuasive. <laughs> <laughs> Federalism from my conservative friend over here. Right. All right. Well, let's hear about my particular pet topic, same-sex marriage. So this was Scott Walker's response to the SCOTUS decision. Quote, I believe this Supreme Court decision is a grave mistake. <laughs> As a result, <laughs> as a result of this decision, Brittany, hang on, don't belittle the grave mistake that the Supreme Court just made relative to this <laughs> important civil rights issue. It's a grave mistake. Millions and millions of Americans need to be subjugated and they need to be discriminated against in a systemic manner. Don't laugh to protect all of us. Oh, wait, I was laughing. <laughs> As a result of this decision, this is Scott Walker talking, not me. <laughs> Let's be clear. The only alternative left for the American people is to support an amendment to the U.S. Constitution to reaffirm the ability uh... of the states to continue to define marriage. Now, wait. He's recently in the news. Today, he was in the news because this is what he had to say about the Boy Scouts ban on gay leaders. Okay, are you ready for this? Uh, I don't know. He don't said so. Tuesday that the Boy Scouts of America should keep its blanket ban on openly gay leaders because the policy, quote, protected children and advanced scout values. That's, I mean, that's it, right? Protected children. How okay. did it protect, asserting that someone who is a homosexual has a proclivity to children is the same thing as saying, 
well, we need to keep all men out of Girl Scout units or all women completely disassociated from Boy Scout units. I mean, what if one of the Boy Scout leaders had five sexual partners the previous week? Right. No. Well, that's just he's real manly, Ryan. I mean, he no, just, first of all, got a sweet libido. <laughs> first of all, nobody knows. Right. Like nobody would even know that information. That's his private business. That's right. And if they did know, like, is that the kind of values you want your young men to, to have? I, you know, like we could debate that. But that guy's OK. But if you were born attracted to the same sex. Hey, fuck you. We got a big problem. Well, and that's the thing. This is talking about a blanket ban on openly gay leaders. He said that protected children. Oh, no. So, so he, if he, they're closeted, it's okay? It's okay. Or? Just don't tell us. Well, that's exactly right. It's the Clinton administration, the Clinton core of which I was a part. It's don't ask, don't tell, which is in itself just gross. It's gross. I wouldn't say racist. We're taking a card from... From Ben Affleck, but it's gross. That's gross. <laughs> That's fucking gross. You listen. If you be who you're gonna be, but you be quiet about it. I it's, felt like that was what the church did to me too. Like when I not to no, it, yeah. not to make it about me, but bring it on, brother. But uh, you know, like <laughs> it, at the very end before they fired me, I, it was basically like I could have these different views about theology, but I just couldn't talk about them publicly. Hmm. And so I was like, so I can't blog about them and I can't preach about them, but it's okay if I have those thoughts. Right. Like, so you're just saying be dishonest is we essentially what you want. We won't punish you for the thoughts that you have. Yeah. We'll just leave that to the hereafter and let God do that. Right. Just you know, be quiet about it. Like, that's what he does. Like my Huffington Post blog, they wanted me to take my, my, my name was okay, of course, because I am who I am, but they didn't want me to say that I was the pastor of the Hollywood Seventh-day Adventist Church. Right. Because that would implicate the rest of the... They said, your Huffington Post blog makes it seem like all Seventh-day Adventists have these views. And, and I, I said, no, it doesn't. Well, it's the same thing with like the military sometimes, and not to harp the military thing, but oftentimes... Always about the military. Yeah, I know. I, Jesse yeah. was a Marine, you guys. I was a Marine! No shit. So, so, he, the thing is, is sometimes they say, oh yeah, you can go on that show, you can have do an interview, but you can't do that shit in, 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 in uniform. Right. Because yeah. we don't want you endorsing. And maybe that's the thing. However, for them to say you can't use your name, or come on. Yeah, just do, just put your name, Ryan Bell. And I'm like, nobody cares what I think. <laughs> oh, they only care what I think because I have a position of leadership in the community. Right, right. Just like nobody cares what you think. No one cares what I think. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus Christ. But you got this microphone and now people care what you think? No, they still don't care. Uh, now they care less. Yeah, less? <laughs> All right. Goddamn. We're going to quit shitting on me, everybody. Let's move on. Let's shit on Scott Walker. What's he think about education? Okay. Two years ago, Mr. Walker called on the Wisconsin legislature to repeal and replace the Common Core national education standards, which were meant to raise proficiency in math and English, but are seen by many conservatives as a federal overreach. But he, quote, showed tacit support for Common Core during most of his first term as governor, the PolitiFact fact-checking website found. Recently, Mr. Walker has moved to weaken tenure for professors in the University of Wisconsin system and to cut its funding. In his budget this year, he recommended changing the system's mission to, quote, meet the state's workforce needs, though he later backtracked on that language, calling it a drafting error. I don't he really seems to be flip flopping a little bit. He for sure is. He's going to have to he's going to have to. Well, listen, he, it's not going to be a large 
change of course for him to jerk far right because he's a pretty far right guy. However, <laughs> relative to to position on on Common Core, I don't really have an opinion on it because I know a lot of people on both sides who aren't a fan of Common Core, and I have a lot of friends on both sides who are a fan of Common Core. And what makes it makes me reflect back to when. George W. Bush and Ted Kennedy, goddamn Ted Kennedy, mm, God te- rest his soul, teamed up together to to create No Child Left Behind. That was a bipartisan. That wasn't just a conservative George Bush thing, and it has been maligned and championed by both sides of the aisle. So, in these education things, eh, I don't necessarily. I'm not going to fault the guy. Well, one, I don't really fucking know much about. Common Core. It doesn't really affect me. So, which is kind of a jackass response. Oh, that doesn't affect me. So, the same thing could be said of of gay marriage. Maybe. Huh? We'll see what happens. <laughs> you never know. So, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll, I guess the, the jury's out. What, do you know much about Common no, Core? No, I, I don't, but I have the same experience as you. I have a, a bunch of friends who are teachers, and some of them are really into it, and some of them aren't, and it just kind of depends. I mean, educational policy and educational theory is very, it's sort of like health, health information. Like yeah, yeah. You, you talk to a hundred people and they have a hundred different opinions about gluten or, or about carbs <laughs> or about. You're from LA. We fucking, we can tell. <clears throat> Gluten's uh, the first thing you mentioned. Uh, you got some health places down here in the OC. Don't give me that shit. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's one of those things where like people have very strong yeah, opinions yeah, about sure. education. I mean, if you have a child, you have a strong opinion about education. And I've just found that kids are, are pretty resilient and they need to learn the basic information. So I, I actually am woefully ignorant about the basics of Common Core. I also don't think it matters whether there's some different system of counting. I, listen, I don't think that as as woefully inept as the, the federal government is in so many areas, I don't think that they're going to create a generation of children who don't know how to count and do math. I, I, I just don't. I don't who buy is, that. Who is the candidate that wanted to eliminate the Department of Education from the federal government? Rick Perry. Yeah, right. So that I think is a bad idea. Well, no, hang on. <laughs> now, hang on. And I'm not. I'm not even advocating that. I'm just saying let's look at the facts. The Department of Education, I believe, and I, it's not like I have papers in front of me here, but I believe it was founded in 1977. It was definitely under Carter. So before that, we still had education. We, we sent people to the fucking moon who right. weren't under some federal department of education. Under the Constitution, which I happen to have a mild modicum of respect for, uh, there is no calling for a federal institution to run education. If we see that we have a problem with it, then I think great. So I think that things... Look, our lives would continue if we were to do away with that institution it's not going to happen. I think we all know you don't right. take that massive a step and fire you know fifty thousand or seventy five thousand people from employment. But their education isn't necessarily a one size fits all. Kids in Mississippi, not even kids state to state, kids in from one town to another, one school to another, one community to another, they may need a different approach. And I think flexibility with education mm-hmm. is probably more important than anything else. And that is where 
the federal government doesn't necessarily allow hmm. that kind of a thing. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So is the Department of Education the one agency that Rick Perry could name that he wanted to eliminate? <laughs> he uh, he named five, and he was only able to name three, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was like education and environment and... Uh, and, and Ron oops. Paul was trying to help him out. Oops, he says. <laughs> All right, what's next? So finally, the economy and the budget. Mr. Walker made his name trying to curtail spending. That's right. He thinks this is his wheelhouse. So let's hear it. Sorry, I'm sorry. Largely. I'm, I'm jumping the gun. I'm wine-fueled and jumping the gun. And blowing your wad. <laughs> <laughs> Largely by taking on public sector unions. He pushed through more than $500 million in tax cuts last year, although Wisconsin faced a nearly $300 million deficit this year and missed a $108 million payment on its debt, incurring additional costs. He has not detailed plans for the federal tax system, though he is likely to call for broad-based tax cuts. In March, he said abolishing the federal tax system, quote, sounds pretty tempting, but he did not fully endorse the idea, which is more of a fringe position on the right. He has promised to pursue major changes in federal entitlement programs. He is also expected to focus on job creation. In Wisconsin, he pledged to create a quarter million jobs during his first term. Slightly more than half of that were created during the 2011 to 2014 period, a time when other Midwestern states also experienced robust job growth. Let me guess. He's going to call it America Works. (laughs) That would be very creative. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? He's like, look, guys, I got a national program. This is called America Works. Here, here's the deal with these type of. Listen, uh, this is where I really I struggle politically with myself and trying to think about things in a logical and reasonable and middle of the ground kind of an area is economics and taxation because fundamentally, and I would I would love. I mean, ne- neither of us are economic scholars. I'm I'm not even a trying to think of something dumb but i'm not even a scholar of really anything so <laughs> of being a marine i'm not even a scholar Ooh. of that you know I'm, uh, okay. I'm just kind of a dumb guy with a microphone in front of his face that's turned on okay we need to not s on you too much because we need people to keep listening to the show they're already trapped they're in okay so here's the deal on ec- on, ec- <laughs> on, on, on taxes it, it's this it's i generally and fundamentally have a problem with if I make, and I don't make, if I make a million dollars a year or a month, and you're going to tax me at 50%, and you make $50,000 a year, and you get taxed at 28 or 38%, I fundamentally have a problem with that just based on the fact that that's not equality under the law. That's not equal justice under the law. I'm being treated fundamentally differently then you, I'm pointing it at the air here, because... No, you pointed at me. <laughs> I'm, sure, and I'm pissed off. I was for sure pointed at you. So I have a problem with that. Now, I, I, I've, I've talked about on the show, I've had two different hour-long conversations with George Zimmer, the founder and, and former CEO of Men's Warehouse. I'm glad you didn't say George Zimmerman. No, no. That would probably end it in fisticuffs. <laughs> or, or a gunshot <laughs> or a wound. Gun, or a gunfight. Uh so, but George Zimmer, that's impressive, though. And he's a guy who is super progressive, super liberal. Really? Really believes he owes society more because he has the privilege of money, where I would argue to him, and I have argued to him on multiple occasions, 
He's created more wealth in this society than I will ever have dreamed of doing in, t- in 10,000 lifetimes because he's employed thousands of people who also pay taxes. But that's really neither here nor there. That's maybe just toot my own horn because I've talked to George Zimmer a few times. Yes. Because, you know, half the audience doesn't even know who fucking George Zimmer is. You know, I guarantee it for their sake. I so, bought a few suits from uh, Men's Warehouse. So, so, so the thing is, is... I do believe it's fundamental inequality when one group is being taxed at a higher percentage rate. Because if you make a million dollars and you and you tax them at 30%, you're still getting the same percentage from them. Now, I realize that there are a lot of people who just sit on their bank account and don't make money, and there needs to be ways to make that up. But I wonder if there weren't so many tax loopholes and deductions that if, if a flat tax, which I assume is what kind of what you're saying, would make more sense. Um, I would be more in favor of something like more fair. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think back and again, I don't have the research in front of me either. But I, I think back to the, you know, um, George Soros was it George Soros who said that. You know, his secretary paid a higher tax rate than he did. No, it's Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, yeah, 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 because he has all these deductions. George Soros and, is a terrible human being. Warren Buffett's a decent man. Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to make that. And again, I, I don't know either of them personally, but uh, neither do I. You know, you were talking to George Soros, I think, the other day with George Zimmer and uh, Warren damn. Buffett. All right, all you guys right. are having coffee, and Jesus no, but I, I think that. There are so many deductions and so many ways for the wealthy to shelter their income that it can sometimes end up that um, the middle class or the poor are paying a higher tax rate or like a functional tax rate than the wealthy. Let's again. So if you're what I'm saying is if you're going to flatten the tax, then it has to be a flat tax. It has to be for sure that you don't get to deduct your car and your you know, your vacation to right. Italy or, or whatever else. However, let's not make, let's not cast aspersions as, as it said. I, I don't know that I've ever, those words have ever crossed. I don't know lips. what an aspersion is exactly. <laughs> I just cast one. Okay. Uh, here's the deal is the poor don't pay taxes. They may pay payroll taxes at the time. And, and then, sales tax and they, property tax. Right. Property tax. The, the poor don't own property, right? Yes, but, but no, but listen, do you think the landlord pays the 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 property tax out of the goodness of his heart? He passes the property of tax course. on to the tenants. Right. Okay. So the tenants I are paying that. a percentage right. of the owner's property tax. Just like the consumers, and it, this is just I'm baiting you here, but do it. Just like the consumer will pay for the additional in the minimum wage. Right. I mean, prices are going to go up. Right. Anyway, that was that was just kind of a, a backhanded fuck you kind of thing. No, I felt it. <laughs> How, so so anyway, so so back to this is, I I just generally have a problem with the rich being taxed at a higher percentage. There there needs to be a more fair taxation system in our country mm. because the poor are they're never going to really pay taxes at the end of the year. They're not writing a check. At the end of the year, if anything, they're getting money back after they've they've paid payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. I made a mistake on the show one time. Sorry, Brittany. She was she's been trying to talk here for we're we're Bogarten. We're Bogarten here. Uh, I made a, a a mistake on the show one time, and actually, I think I may have been called out by Alexander. Just one time. Just one time. No, only one. Just yeah. that one well, mistake. One time, I thought I'd made a mistake, and then I realized that I hadn't. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, wah, wah. So anyway. Um, 
it was when uh, Mitt Romney was talking about the poor in our country, and I made a, I made a, a off the cuff statement about the poor are golden. And Brittany immediately said, I want to correct. I think everybody knows you didn't mean they're golden. And I'm not saying the poor have it awesome in our country. Absolutely not. However, they are not weighted with the burden of taxation in our country. Sales tax, yes. Other types of taxes, yes. And the passing on of taxes from companies, corporations, their landlords, yes. But I'm talking about middle class and up who pay the lion's share of revenue from government that needs there needs to be some equality across the board. Okay, so before we move on, I, I are wanna, we going to move on? Are you sure? Well, yes, but I this is the last thing that I want to address about Scott Walker, and I just I'm trying to give the listeners many weapons in their arsenal, right? Yeah, so that I when they that argue too. with people, they they know a lot about Scott Walker, and they can take people down. Anyway, here's the one thing you need to know, Jackal. Sorry, go ahead. No. Okay, so he sent out a fundraising email, okay? And this is what it said. It's very similar to what we talked about with Ben Carson on the last episode. He says, quote, My relationship with God drives every major decision in my life. (laughs) That's terrifying. Each day I pray and then take time to read from the Bible and from a devotional named Jesus Calling. As you can... A a what? A devotional named Jesus Calling. All right. As you can imagine, the months leading up to my announcement that I would run for president of the United States were filled with a lot of prayer and soul searching. Of course they were. Here's why. Just like me before every show. I needed to be certain that running was God's calling, not just man's calling. I am certain this is God's plan for me, and I am humbled to be a candidate for the president of the United States. Humbled. But, But he's humbled, but God is making him do this. And God wants him to win. I, I heard that he said that he he was uh, um, committing to his his followers that he was going to win. Oh yeah. Well, here's the deal: is Ben Carson also had the same conversation with God, with the same God. So God, he's two timing somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> or just undecided. He yeah. might be one of the undecided That's voters. Right. God is a fucking fence rider in this case because. Well, he there needs- is 18 months yet till the election or so. So, I mean, God has a little time to sort this out. Is it the black guy or is it the white? Maybe he's just hedging his bets. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, God really needs to pull the trigger here soon. <laughs> soon. Wait, pull the trigger? That I would mean, indicate he's a gun owner, right? No, 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 no. I don't mean that. In a, I mean, that was a metaphor. <laughs> All right. Well, we will move on from that. That's maybe the longest... That was maybe the longest on the issues of any candidate we've done. And maybe it's because we have three people in the sh- in in the studio. Well, Ryan has a lot of good stuff to say. Of course he does. <laughs> I haven't said that much, have I? It's been the wine. You, you got talkative. I got talkative. Did I get talkative? I host a fucking podcast. I better be talkative. It would not be a great podcast if it was fucking crickets for an hour and 20 minutes, Ryan. And then Scott Walker. <laughs> no, that's NPR. <laughs> Hey, I like NPR. I do, too. I listen to a lot of NPR podcasts. There you go. I don't want to step on any toes who might want to hire me on for a job. You know right. what I mean? Although this this whole thing, and I'm pointing at my face, is it's not really NPR material. Well, luckily, it's radio, so they don't care what you look like. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on. Last episode. I don't know why I say last week every time. We've done two shows per week 
for 140 episodes, and I still say last week. Although, it was last week because it was Sunday when we did the show. And every time I speak, I say this morning because I was a pastor for so long. It's always morning. Whenever (laughs) I'm talking, it's morning. So last time on the show, we talked about Donald Trump. And I gave kind of an ad hoc apology to the audience that I... I got swept up in the Donald Trump jackassery. And the problem with that is, is that now going forward, I feel embarrassed about covering Trump, but now we have a legitimate reason to do so. Right. In a nationwide survey, Trump leads at 17%, while Jeb Bush is in second at 14%. And they are the only double digit candidates. In the Republican Party. That's yes. right. Yeah, this is this is this hurts my heart in a very <laughs> metaphoric way. But it it Aww. I'm fucking it ang- it angers me. It embarrasses me and it hurts me. I, I don't know. I, I really I don't want to be melodramatic about it, but I'm bothered by this, that that, that there is a a vast swath of Americans that that Donald Trump is tapping into something that is affecting them and that that's bothersome to me because i believe that americans are good people generally good people i think we get caught up in dumb issues and some people have affinity to con- the confederate flag and some believe in mythology that leads them to to want to strip away rights from from gays and lesbian loving human beings but generally, I believe Americans to be wholesome and good and, and thoughtful toward one another. And to follow a guy, a candidate like Donald Trump, it shows me otherwise. And it, it's, it's a bummer. Do you think his popularity is due to the fact that he's been a celebrity on TV and stuff like that? Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, was a known entity. Yeah, and... that may be so, but that wouldn't make me feel any less depressed about because it. Because his, his, his announcement speech was so embarrassing. Yeah. And, and, and not even just on the policy issues. Like you could dissect it on, a, on the policy issues, but just the way he presented it, the just the juvenile way. We in covered which, it in depth and I it mean, was just, very embarrassing. Right, just the juvenile way in which he speaks. I'm and, rich. I'm very rich. I'm so, Look, I got the cash. I'm so rich. His narcissism <laughs> is just, Over I mean, how how are we going to deal with that? I mean, if that, if that guy is president, and Jesse was saying this just the other day, when you become president of the United States, you are the most powerful person on the planet. Imagine him in negotiations with Iran. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? It's look, almost... Look, fuckers, let me tell you, this is what you're going to do. I'm Donald. Everybody likes me. You're a Everybody. loser. You're, you're a, a loser. loser. We're you know, going to build a wall between Iran and the United States, and we're going to make you pay for it. No, well, it's this. We're going to build a wall between Mexico and the United States, and Yugoslavia is going to pay for it. Fuck them. <laughs> we're America. He's like, he doesn't even know that Yugoslavia is not yet a country, <laughs> not, not still a country. Oh, the so poor man. It's, it's a problem. He's number one in the polls right now. Why? Something has gone awry. I don't know. I really, I'd love to get Nate Silver on the show and talk to him from 538 and talk to him about what mechanism in polling could go drastically wrong for these results to be skewed, but they're legitimate. Well, this is a USA Today poll. Here's the thing, though. I have people on my on my friends list who are commenting and saying that Donald Trump is just saying what people say in private. Uh, and that is extremely concerning. Well, Wait, what? I, 
I think also there's this phenomenon that I've heard talked about before, too, where the reason, like, when you ask people, why do you vote against your own economic interests? In other words, why do poor people vote for rich people policy? And and it's really troubling. It's really confusing. And, and people have said it's because in the American ideology, in the American dream, in the American mentality, everyone imagines themselves like Donald Trump. They think that oh, they're, yeah. they're one big break away from being Donald Trump. And so they kind of idealize him like, yeah, that's the American dream. Anybody can become that. And so I, I think that they have this sense that he just pulled himself up by his bootstraps, maybe, and he's... Ugh, that's my least favorite fucking saying in the world. I know. I No, I, I've... I've done YouTube videos, not videos, but a YouTube video specifically. I don't know that I've ever talked about my YouTube channel, by the way, Brittany. You have not. In the span of 140 shows, Ryan well, let's Bell. Talk about it. Ryan Bell just led me into talking about my YouTube channel. Let's uh, let's brag about your YouTube channel. All right, well, let's do this. By the way, we haven't mentioned the the number of the show, 657-464-7609. That is where you call. That is where you communicate with the show. If you want to leave a fewer than three-minute voicemail, that is where you would do that. Also, I talked about last episode about subscribing to the show rather than listening online, although I love the traffic on the website. It's beautiful. Here's the other thing. Go subscribe to my YouTube channel. How about that? Right? Ryan Bell subscribed to my YouTube channel. And subscribe to mine, too, while you're at a Year Without God. <laughs> yeah, Year Without God. That's what we're here for, Ryan's promotion. We are definitely... He's been... This whole time, he's like, geez, what in the fuck is going on? Are we going to talk about me soon? Talk about <laughs> Donald Trump. God. Anyway, so... I'm running for president, by the way. Oh. You heard it here. For, you can't delete. <laughs> oh, you shit. Said, you're not Scott Walker, brother. <laughs> no, I don't. Nobody even knows. No. <laughs> so anyway, go do that. Go go sub, go subscribe to the, the podcast. If you'd like to communicate, if you have any questions, because we could certainly look. Ryan is, is certainly not in Orange County every day, but we could certainly get him back on with Skype. If you have any questions for him one more time, 657-464-7609. You can also tweet him. At Year Without God or at Ryan J. Bell. That's right. So let's move on with a little bit of Trump. He sat down with Bloomberg Business this week and had some questions asked of him. And it's very odd to me because it seems as though he's he's kind of changing the method with which he deals with the media. It's like he hired a professional actual campaign consultant because he's dealing with the media in a far different way and if you're a regular listener to the show and you've listened to the clips we've played in the past you'll see just how different he's acting I want to start by talking about the pope there's a big debate in the republican party now about what role things he says should play you've spoken favorably about him he's, he's talking this week about the environment should a potential president listen to what the Pope says about global warming. Well, I'm not so sure. Look, I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's really a terrific person. I, I love his stance. He's so different. He's very refreshing. Uh, but I, I think you want to listen to science. You want to listen maybe to your own gut, maybe your own experience. I'm not sure you have to necessarily listen to the Pope as to the environment. It was a little bit of an unusual situation. No, I wouldn't say so. Do you, do you agree with the point, the, the position he's taking, which is that the Earth is getting warmer? You agree with that? Well, I'm not a big believer in the whole global warming phenomena, okay? I'm not a uh, person that, as, as you probably, you know, you know very well, uh, my attitude is that uh, 
and, and I feel very strongly about this, clean air is so important. But just on the factual question, you don't think human behavior is contributing to a dangerously warmer planet? There could be a little bit of something just having to bit. do with factories and smoke and things, smoke but for the most things. part, I'm not a believer in that, yes. And I, I would say this also, uh, our country is cleaning up, and then you look at China and other countries, and they're not cleaning up. And, you know, why aren't they doing it? So that's always the headline that you hear from scientists, right? Is Well, it could be a little bit of the factories Just a little and bit. stuff. Yeah. It, could, you know, it could be the smoke. I, I also Here's what, here's what he says. It's, it, when, you, when you unpack this a little bit, he says that, uh, you know, maybe we should listen to science. Maybe. Or your gut, maybe. Yeah, just, you know, hey, you know, hey. You just gotta, the more money you have, the more important your opinion is. And, eh, or just the spontaneous thought that occurs in your head about climate change is apparently the fact about like it. at the moment that a journalist is asking so you. So he, he, he mildly validates the fact that listening to science is important. And then in the next breath says, well, I think everybody knows I don't really believe in this climate change thing. So listen, Dick, is it listen to science or not? Or you don't how can get it, it both be? Ways. What? How can it be like a little bit of global warming? Like I believe in global warming a little it's bit. It's like being like, a little bit pregnant. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> do you think that the globe is warming as a result of human activity or not? Right. Which clearly, listen, clearly, we've got a problem. Science is just as uh, coming down on the issue in the affirmative as they are with vaccines. We right. know. Right. We know. Right. Global warming is a thing. You don't necessarily have to have a snowball in your hand like Senator James Inhofe from Oklahoma on the floor of the Senate. We know that global warming is happening. Well, and this is the disappointing thing about the Republican presidential candidates, which is there's not a lot of talk of, well, what is the scientific consensus? We should align ourselves with the scientific consensus. I mean, that would be a great answer from Donald Trump. Sure. That would make me think, oh, yeah, 17% is supporting him. Okay, yeah, well, he supports the scientific consensus. No, I'm still confused. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think he has to say that he has to, like, play that double the double-sided thing that he's doing. Like, he has to say, yeah, it's a thing, maybe, so that the people who believe it is... Yeah, I think you're giving him way too much credit. I don't think Donald Trump is smart enough to to have the nuance of understanding of, well, I got to kind of play both sides here. Of hedging his bets? You don't think he's hedging his bets? Here's the thing about smarts. Like, I think there's two different kinds of smart I've come to Yeah. Like, there's a technical smart, and there's, like, a critical thinking smart. And some people so have. Which one does he have then? So I think that he is technically smart because nobody that's not somewhat technically smart can make the fortune For that sure. he's done. No, no, so I, I wouldn't say he's like a, a dumb guy. Like he's not like uh, ignorant of all things. Like well, he, he he wrote the art of the deal. <laughs> right there, you the go. Number one business the, the, book number, of all time. The number one business. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a star of a celebrity uh, reality show. Uh, so, yeah. so anyway, he. He is, this is like uh, like Ben Carson. Let's take another example. Super a guy, smart, of A guy that's obviously incredibly, incredibly more than any other human being alive on the planet capable of a certain kind of neurosurgery. Um, to take absolutely nothing away from that incredible ability, he's not 
the world's best critical thinker. Yeah. No. And so it's a, like there's a kind of a scientific a great way to put it. There's a scientific smart, and then there's like a liberal arts smart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's I think like I would rely upon liberal arts smart. Yeah, I mean, I think you can Maybe learn. Maybe that's because I am more of a liberal arts smart, I, and I am too. You know, and so I and I encounter this a lot with with doctors who are clearly like I've known many many physicians, personal friends who have. You know, anybody that can get through medical school is a unique human being. Like, it's, it's an oh, incredible yeah. accomplishment. But yet, that does not make you a philosopher. It does not make you a capable of analyzing different viewpoints and adjudicating between them and becoming up with, a, a you know, sort of a, an insightful opinion. Maybe that's why guys like Sam Harris are such an awesome hybrid, because they have neuroscience graduate degrees and they also have a deep philosophy. That was a weird deep, a deep, deep philosophy background. Well, yeah, also, or like Daniel Dennett is the same kind of thing. Yeah, also yeah. less appealing to the masses, I think, because for it's sure. so difficult for the masses to grasp M- that intelligence. Multifaceted. Right. So, so uh, Donald Trump is appealing because he has this type of intelligence. When you hear Sam Harris's podcast and he's talking about all these very large issues and he's speaking in a way that's highly intelligent, people are kind of, oh, what's going on well, here? I'm having he, a difficult time. He attracts one or the other. So if it's someone who is super anth- analytical or one of the two smarts, they're going to be turned off by the other side of him. Well, well, this is what I always say about evolution. Like evolution is not intuitive. Like when you when you when I when you look at me or I look at you, I think how did you just well, maybe you, but but like Britney, for example. Like Britney, how did how did Britney evolve from a, a simple bacteria? Uh, Ryan Bell, everybody. <laughs> like it's it's just it seems unlikely, right? Yeah. So yeah. I look at or or like everybody talks about the eyeball, like how it can be. It's just not Christians intuitive. talk about the eyeball, that's, right? 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 That's the Christian go-to, right? 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 To refute evolution. But well, it, so the, it the doesn't. Eyeball is so crazy, everybody. Oh my god! But if the cheese in your fridge mold then how could an eyeball evolve, you know? And so it's not intuitive until you actually learn about the science. Right, right, right. Well, science is, it would, listen, if, if science was super intuitive, you wouldn't need insane amounts of research right. and freakishly smart people like Einstein and Stephen Hawking and Lawrence Krauss and these types who are big brains... I would be able to do science if it was intuitive because I'm case in point. Right. That's exactly right. Well, we just talked about the NPR report on the recent article that came out in Cognition, I think was the journal where they determined the journal Cognition. That's right. What was the difference between people who believe in evolution and people who don't believe in evolution? And they determined that it was the style of thinking, the analytic style versus the intuitive style. So people who cling to that wow. intuitive style are clinging to their cultural tradition, what they've always been that told. Article. That's awesome that he just seriously. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sitting here like, wait, what? I was trying to get Jesse's attention. Of course, he's ignoring me. So, yeah. I'm just staring glowingly at Ryan. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> All right. God damn it. We're not going to. Let's not uh, be labeled. I really ruined your podcast by showing up here tonight. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, the Mormons. Shut up. The Mormons ruined the podcast. No. They threw you off your game, Ryan. Usually you're super funny and <laughs> affable and right. you were just very stodgy and you didn't you didn't talk a lot no yeah i'm re- i'm very disappointed so let's talk about me now let's talk about you 
Last week in San Antonio, Texas, some division, some some organizational meeting happened within the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and it was a grouping of international leaders within the church, and they determined by vote that women would not be extended ordination, official ordination under the denomination. This leads us to exactly why Ryan Bell is sitting in the aforementioned palatial world headquarters of Idato Adalamore because former pastor, we probably didn't mention this at the top of the show because I was so excited about having Mormons in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Bell, Dr. Ryan Bell, former pastor of the Hollywood Seventh-day Adventist Church. For 20 years, you were a pastor, right? That's right. 19. 19 years. He's here with us to talk about that exact happening and how, listen, I, I put a call out on Twitter and we, we got some messages and we got some emails through the website and, and, and through our email address, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. But, but I also went to Reddit to the atheism Reddit, and I posted. Okay, so we can we can talk about this a little bit though, because it was reported in many media outlets. That actually makes way way more sense than what I was getting ready to do. So like Washington ahead. Post and stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. The article I'm going to read. Go ahead, Brittany. I'm sorry. So Seventh Day at Venice and voted. Moreover, audience, I'm sorry. <laughs> Voted Wednesday that individual regions of the 18 million member Protestant denomination cannot choose to ordain female ministers. Although the vote at a major conference was one of the most watched in years by the denomination, its specific purpose and impact were not immediately clear. (laughs) Leaders from the denomination, based in Silver Spring, Maryland, set aside all of Wednesday for discussion, pleaded for unity, and encouraged all delegates to vote their conscience. For hours, people went to the microphone and spoke about how the vote could affect Adventist unity, women, and scripture. Because apparently it takes hours to discuss the issue of ordaining (laughs) women. Well, so here's the deal when Brittany appropriately interrupted me. Is I put this on Facebook, a call to ask for questions. And we're going to kind of bifurcate this issue. Because I want to talk about the fact that a major religion no surprise to many probably is continuing to i don't know if subjugate is a hard enough word or a, a, a an appropriate word or too tough a word but a religion is excluding half of the population who have minds who can think who are responsible who are faithful who are devoted they're excluding them from ordination So I I went to, well, the other side of it, the bifurcation, Ryan, would be atheism, that I'm an atheist and Brittany is an atheist. And I think you've come out as not come out, but you've you've uh, you've let it be known that you've you know, you you no longer have belief in a Judeo-Christian based monotheist. No, I'm an atheist. Let's just say I'm an atheist. You don't have to dance around it. (laughs) I'm, Thank I'm, you for I'm making helping. that easy for him. Goddamn. He I, was working, though. I can't get any love. No love. No, we love you. These fucking people. So I went, to, I went to the atheism Reddit, and I, I posted this. 
I said former Seventh-day Adventist Pastor Ryan Bell from A Year Without God will be on the podcast, I Doubt It with Dollamore, on their Wednesday midweek show about the latest announcement that the Seventh-day Adventist Church will continue to refuse or refuse to ordain women into the ministry. If you'd like to join the conversation, blah, 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 blah. Well, the first comment was, the irony is that th their sect was founded in part by a woman, Ellen G. White, who wrote several Seventh-day Adventist books. Several? And then, Hundreds. And then he says, as an, well, I assume it's a he, or, just because he's being a dick. As an atheist, I'm not sure why this is an atheist issue. Sounds more like a Seventh-day Adventist issue. And then one more comment that I want to talk about, and then we can, we can unleash the hounds. This guy says... Or unleash the Ryan Bell. The hound. <laughs> That's right. Singular. <laughs> he says, and I'm assuming it's a he, because he's acting like a dick. Uh, and, only okay. he, and only he's have dicks. Well, yeah. So so does the Catholic Church. What's your point? And here's my thing. And this really kind of goes out to the atheists and the agnostics or the non-believers in our audience. It's I talk about this quote all the time that's misattributed to Edmund Burke. That's the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for bad things to happen and to continue to happen is if good people do nothing. And this is one of those cases that we need to speak up because as if this faith, the Seventh-day Adventists, get more progressive, it's better for all of us as a collective society and a collective community for them to do so. I mean, am I wrong? Am I wrong there? No. I mean, I think... Um... Yeah, I mean the issue the issue is really complicated, but at the base my concern was that progressive Seventh-day Adventists, people that I still consider to be my friends from when I was a pastor. You were one of them. I was one of them and I I am frustrated by the way in which progressive Seventh-day Adventists are not standing up and protesting in a way that's more than just words to say we're going to break with this um, this sort of worldwide church edict. Um, so if, if let me go back a couple of steps. Yeah, please. And just sort of like explain what's going on here. That so, is why you're here. <clears throat> right. <laughs> <laughs> so the issue before this general conference, which is the worldwide, every five years the church gets together together, uh, somewhere in the world and delegates from all over the world come and make decisions about things for the whole church. So that's every five years. So for each five years going back to the nineties, like to 1990, the church has been debating this issue of whether women can be ordained. So the issue went a long time ago, the issue went from can the church ordain women to can each worldwide division make up their own mind about ordaining women because the issue it became quite clear that it was um, cultures in Africa and South America primarily right, sure. that were more uh, traditional less progressive that and, and actually the church membership has grown in those areas of the world such that the voting block in South America and then the global south, let's say, is much stronger voting block than in North America in the global north. Within the church. Within the church. Sure. So the progressives in the north want to see equality 
and many of my friends, I mean, even some conservative Seventh-day Adventists that I know personally, in fact, former bosses of mine who I consider to be very conservative Adventists, very dyed-in-the-wool Seventh-day Adventists, want to see women ordained. They employ many women, and they feel badly about the situation that they're in. Um, the church has been led in a voting way by the delegates in the global south. So the solution, the political solution was to say, why not let the divisions in the north vote for themselves whether they want to ordain women? Africa oh, right. Africa doesn't have to ordain women. South America doesn't have to ordain women if they don't want to, but let North America ordain women if they want to. Now here here's the other wrinkle. There are many not many. I mean, there are percentage-wise, it's very low, but there are many women who are Seventh-day Adventist pastors, pastors in churches, on the payroll, who are senior pastors, even uh, associate pastors, youth pastors. There are many. I think the number is less than, but nearing two hundred. Yeah. I think it's one fifty out of three thousand clergy members. Right. Wow. You have yeah. You have the statistics way more than I do. So these women are hey, Ryan. That's what she does. Right. Well, I think it's North America only. Again, brains of the it, it's, operation. It's Brittany Page. Right, exactly. <laughs> the Brittany Page show, everyone. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so these women are at equal in terms of their ability to act as clergy in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So here's where the limitation comes in. It, there's a symbolic limitation. Sure. In other words, that they're what's called commissioned rather than ordained. So the day that I was ordained in a humid gymnasium in, in Pennsylvania in June of 2001. Beautiful and spiritual. Very beautiful and spiritual. We were like sweating under my necktie. Um, I'm sweating under my necktie hearing about it. Just hearing <laughs> about I'm it. I'm not even wearing, a, I'm not even wearing clothes right now. So. Is that right? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> For the record, he is wearing clothes. So anyway, I'm not wearing clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so ordained. You're sweaty, you're, There's like you're... four of us men that are being ordained, and one of my dearest friends, who was my professor in seminary, uh, gave my ordination talk. Is quite. A, I expected to be more cynical about it. I was very cynical about it. Ended up being a very moving experience for me. Then we broke for a little while, and then we had another ceremony called a commissioning ceremony. And my women. and my very good friend, who led all of the youth ministry in the conference in the whole state of Pennsylvania, was commissioned, and it just pissed me off because it functionally, practically, no difference. Well, it's like civil union or marriage. That's right for gays. It's That's separate. Right. But equal. Yeah. So it's still not equal protection under the law, right? Using no, it's the not. Same logic. So because here's the thing. Presidents of regional bodies called conferences. Mm -hmm. So conference presidents must be ordained ministers, not commissioned. And they've tried to change the policy about commissioned ministers as well so that presidents could be commissioned ministers, but they've left it. Ordained right. ministers can be presidents. So presidents of conferences, presidents of unions, presidents of the general conference. So they're not voting members. Who? Women. They No, they are, but they're not able to be the president of the conference. There's a glass ceiling is what oh, I'm trying to say. Okay. So up until a certain point, commissioned women ministers and ordained men ministers are essentially the same. So it's what's so weird about this is that they're the argument against women's ordination is this stridently biblical argument. It, no, it's a Paul argument. It's a Paul argument. It's uh, for, yeah. It, for, it, for, yeah. Th for those of you who aren't quite as a bibliophile 
as myself or to a larger degree, uh, Dr. Ryan Bell, Paul talks about women keeping their fucking mouths shut and their heads covered and they will have no authority over a man. It's Quote, in- unquote. Well, it's in yeah, Tim- fucking mouth shut. <laughs> Ephesians chapter. No, <laughs> it's in Timothy. It's a, I think second Timothy is it not or first Timothy. It's yeah. one of the Timothy's. It's one of the Timothy's. But here's what makes it complicated for the Seventh Day Adventist Church, right? Is that Ellen White is one of the founders of the faith. That's a woman. I I know it says in all these articles that I've read that she's one of the founders. She's she's like the Joseph Smith of the Seventh Day Adventist. That's right. That's a perfect analogy. And evidently she was described in documents from her lifetime as ordained. Yes. She has been ordained. There is an, an ordination certificate for Ellen White. That's been redacted, and some people say that it was not official, and some people say it was. And here's the other thing. In the in the late 1800s, early 1900s, she became increasingly critical of the General Conference leadership, all men. Why? Because there were about two, of, two or three of them that had control over the worldwide church, and it was a time in which the church was exploding with growth. And Ellen White said, look, we need a broad a broader-based leadership structure to account for all this diversity. It's not fair for two or three men to be in charge of all these decisions. And she kept writing these letters to the General Conference president saying, you're abusing your authority, you're abusing your power, you need to de- to um, flatten this structure. And as a result, they sent her to Australia. Uh, wow. And you can imagine, like, Australia today, amazing place. Australia. No, no cell phones. Right. Australia in 1900, <laughs> you know, still like recovering from being a prison colony, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they essentially exile Ellen White to Australia. So Ellen White, being the, the wilting flower that she is, uh, started a seminary, a food service company, a college, uh, several churches. You know, th- this is Ellen White. Yeah, she's getting it done. Right. She and so and, and Loma Linda, which is not too far from here. Right, right. You know, was when it was nothing but a gigantic orange grove. She said, you know, God wants us to build a hospital here. You know, to this day, the Adventist uh, Loma Linda University Medical Center, uh, one of the leading. Cardi- yeah, there's radio commercials all the time. Right, and the pro the, there's a proton accelerator cancer treatment center there. Yeah, yeah. It's like leading the world in cancer treatment. You know, this was Ellen White's vision to build this hospital in the middle of an orange grove, and the men around her were like, uh, "Ellen, this is this is nowhere. This is the middle of an orange grove. What are you talking about?" She's like, "No, this is the place. This is where we need to do this." So she was, I, you know. Too, much to my colleague's chagrin many times, I, I said, look, Ellen White was a proto-feminist. She was a woman way before her time who was like, look, you guys move over. You guys are going to you know, argue about whatever. We need to build a, sem- uh, you know, a sanitarium here. We need to build a medical facility here. And, and she was sidelined consistently by the men who did not want to hear what she had to say. Well, and evidently to the point that Ryan is making, that is continuing, right? So the question before the delegates was, is it acceptable for division executive communities as they deem it appropriate in their territories to make provision for the ordination of women to the gospel ministry? And the vote was 1,381 no and 977 yes. So not there's... There's clearly a deep divide. It's like 60-40. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah, right. There's a but that's a deep divide. It's right. not 90-10. Right. There's a deep divide within Seventh-day Adventism. Right. Is that how to say it? Seventh-day sure. Adventism. 
Sure, yeah. You know, the, the emphasis can go on any syllable that you like. That's right, yeah, yeah. So, but there's clearly a deep divide relative to opinion within leadership of the church because this, oh, yeah. this isn't all the church voting. This is leadership in the church. Well, and there has been incremental progress. I mean, I think 20 years ago, you would have seen only like liberal theologians saying women should be ordained. Now, rank and file church administrators from the North American Division, Canada and the United States, are in favor of women's ordination. And the reason why is because they've hired women. And in many cases, women are more effective in ministry than men. Listen, uh, I come from the non-denominational, but more Pentecostal talking yeah, in tongues. Yeah, you have a history of that. Yeah, talking in tongues and dancing around and acting like maniacs during church. I come from that tradition. And women oftentimes are the ones who are you know, Shonda Hala 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 Habadala doing their tongue talking. They're the ones who deliver the message from the quote unquote Holy Spirit. Well, and in traditional religions, women have often been the carriers of sort of the community's spiritual. Well, it's one of the reasons Paul wrote the letter. Hey, women need to calm it down because women in Corinth or wherever it was. Mm-hmm. I, I, you're the, the theology guy. I'm not. I'm just, you know, the guy with the turned on microphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But they were the ones who were causing, quote unquote, problems for the early church. And he needed to settle the ladies down. So is that that is primarily the source then where you have the Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, the Seventh-day Adventist tradition. These are several sects of the Christian faith that are preventing women from being ordained as pastors. Yeah, there's one text in which Paul says um, women sinned first and therefore the curse of of you know, childbearing and pain and childbearing would would rest upon them. You get that from the curse in Genesis. And, you know... You get that. He's speaking directly to me. Yeah, you you know, you understand, Brittany, that that curse falls on you. Yes. Because you have ovaries. Yes. Um, So, as long as we're clear about that. You're making an assumption that she has ovaries. That is true. Unfair assumption. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it says in, in 1 Timothy 2, 12, that I do not permit women to teach or to assume authority over a man she must be quiet so he didn't really he didn't make any bones about it he was being a dirty bastard <laughs> well and there's women. this there's this uh theology that's called headship theology and the, the idea is that men are the head of women that's right and so there's the and like in, the spiritual head in fact yes and there is there, there was a conference held last year, I believe, among Seventh-day Adventists called... I bet you that was a good time. Headship <laughs> theology. It was, yeah. And it was basically articulating this headship theology that men are to be the leaders of the home, the leaders of the church, that they're to be in charge, right. uh, you know, in leadership over, over women. And that's just sort of like the social order of the gospel, or that that's the, sort of the creation order. Like, men were created first... Woman was created from the rib of the man. Right. Archaic bullshit. And then on top of the rib thing, the woman succumbed to the temptation of the snake first and then seduced the man into participating with her. Because he was a dumb guy and, you know, whatever she says, he's got to do. Yeah. I mean, I heard one of our one of the famous evangelists in the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a guy named Doug Batchelor. and, And he basically said humanity has been cursed ever since. Adam did not stand up for what was right and listen to his wife. 
and, wow. ate, and ate the fruit. So the, the reason that we're all screwed, essentially, is because Adam listened to his wife. So maybe, maybe, and this, maybe we're breaking new ground here, maybe it would have been a better deal had it been Adam and Steve and not Adam and Eve. Maybe. <laughs> well, so I have a question for Ryan. So is this the next big issue that's going to drive people away from religion? Is this women ordained as pastors or priests in their faith is that going to be the next big issue like the lgbtq issue yeah i mean it may be i mean this has been an issue within adventism for decades although i think this year it was particularly poignant because i think people thought okay we've been debating this for 20 years the church just commissioned a study committee to really go over this issue conservative and liberal theologians really studying the issue and because it's been voted down so many times and we've had so much opportunity to really investigate this subject that maybe this was the year that it was going to pass. And I, so I think the defeat of this motion was more devastating, especially for my generation, Generation X and younger yeah. uh, Adventists than, than, than ever before. I had three or four, five people contact me through through various social media or email or whatever to say to me personally I just I don't know why I'm telling you this I feel like I need to tell someone but today it's it that's it I'm not an Adventist anymore wow and again that's anecdotal evidence it's five people out of 1.1 million was it women and men um it was mostly women um, although there, to be fair, there are men who are just as frustrated. When you say mostly women, and I'm pinning you, they're down all here. women. It was actually. all women. It was okay. all women. Yeah, the women, the people who. Yeah, contact- but you know what? Half of Adventists are. Well, over it, half it, the human population right. is women. So, so that's that is a good cross section of what's going on. Right, and my frustration, and on social media, Facebook, and Twitter, my thing was, why I was goading the progressives. That's, that was I felt like that was my role. Because here's the thing. The Adventist theology is no truer if it's preached by a woman than if it's preached by a man. Absolutely. So, so I'm not saying that the church needs women preachers and that will somehow make a difference in the world. I don't think it makes a difference in the world. But it does reveal a deep patriarchy in the church that I think progressives need to wake up and notice. So I said on social media, when are the progressives going to say enough is enough and either create a separate church structure that's separate from the general conference or leave the church altogether. But people keep saying, like, I'm going to stay and make change from within, you know, and I did that, too. I was like trying to create change from within and I did the best I could until I couldn't do it anymore. And then I realized I'm not really going to change because 90 percent of the church. I mean, I'm just pulling a number out of the air, but the church is what it is. I mean, I fundamentally think the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Southern Baptist Church, pick one. It's right. fundamentally what it is. And there are always going to be reformers, and it makes incremental progress. Maybe by 2050, they'll be ordaining women. But by then, who cares? Because we're, you know, the Supreme Court just voted on same-sex yeah, marriage. No kidding. So, we are changing at a rapid pace as a, as, a, as a society. So I said, you know, one of my things was like, like, look, so say, for example, the General Conference voted yes on the motion that w- the divisions of the world church could make their own decision about, about women's ordination. Let's say that happened. And everybody celebrates. Yay! You know, we, and it's sort of a, 
a sort of a muted victory in a way. Like, great. So just as the Supreme Court is voting that same-sex couples can get married, we've decided that women can be pastors. You're, Yay. you're finally up to the 1930s. Right, exactly. So <laughs> so it's it's sort of like, even if it was a victory, it would have been sort of a kind of like, it's it's sort of like when your football team's down by 30 points and they score a touchdown. Right. And you're kind of like, Yay. It's great. We're still going to lose. But goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, here's the thing. Listen, of everything you've said, and everything you said was beautiful and succinct and mm. awesome and Thank informed. You. Thank you very much. But, but it's this. You just said something that really struck me. And I've been out of the church for far longer than you. Um, almost 20 years longer than you. Um, what you said was that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of the sermons and the message of the church is no different whether it's preached from a man, from a penis or a vagina. It's the same thing. Right. That is an awesome point that I've never heard. Maybe I've just not listened to the right people, but that's a beautiful thing that, listen, I'm an atheist, so it doesn't really matter to me like those assholes on Reddit said. Right. But it does matter for the people who are still in the faith. It doesn't matter whether a woman's preaching it. She can still preach truth, your truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, well, you said it. Of course well, you know I just, what I mean. What, my, my interest is this. What, what I want to do is put a spotlight on it. I want to turn a spotlight on, on what's happened. I don't think, you know, the gospel's no truer, like I said, whether, whether a man preaches it or a woman preaches it. But let's all together notice the patriarchy that's at the root yes. of Christianity. Let's all just notice that for a minute and say, what's that about? And is it defeatable? And, you know, maybe, you know, Episcopalians and, and other liberal Christians, Methodists and uh, Presbyterians. Say, say Lutherans and Presbyterians <laughs> have moved past that years and years and years ago. So, yes, it is possible that Christians can move past this, you know, gender divide. But I would argue that even in those denominations, there's a preference for male pastors. And I remember a time when I was a pastor, there was a female pastor in our conference, and the president of the conference had a hard time finding a church for her to serve in because the congregation itself didn't want a female pastor. But the reason that they don't, the, at the heart of that reason is the fact that Paul said, shut your mouth, keep your head covered. And don't talk. If you have a question about what was said in church, ask your husband. Go at home. ask your husband later. At home, yeah. Of course. That, so at the root of Christianity, and I didn't want to get into all of this, but at the root of it, it's a sexist, terrible, misogynistic ethos. Well, I mean, I think Paul is reflecting the culture of his day, uh, and we can evolve past that. But people have a very prescribed view of the Bible, that the Bible is true, what Paul said. So, so for example, on gay, on gay marriage or on just gayness in general, I, I eventually came to the point as a pastor, while I was still a pastor, and I said, look, Paul's wrong about this. Yeah. Paul's just wrong about this. Paul was limited in his view. Now, if Paul magically appeared in 2015, I, I think Paul was probably a pretty smart guy. Gay. And if he, yeah, and possibly gay. And if he was here today, he would probably endorse same same sex marriage. No, but but come he was on. No, I think he might. Listen, with with the science and with the, the awareness, benefit, is what you're we saying. only have so much time on the show. But let me say this: that there is something that we talk about on the show all the time called a truth wiener. There was a study done where 
men who are aggressively homophobic, they have the, the most reaction to homosexual pornography. Via their penis was something right. that was put on their they penis. They attach a mechanism to their wiener. Scientifically. No, yes. this, this is a study. We've talked about it a lot on the show. Brittany will, she'll, she'll email you the details. I'm sort of, just so the listeners know, I'm just involuntarily crossing my legs. <laughs> <laughs> so they attach whatever mechanism that 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 measures the rise or fall of the blood flow and measures the erection right, right. and then they the degree let, of our erection and then they let them they don't let them they force them to watch homosexual and normal porn after measuring their homophobic attitudes so well, why don't you explain wow. the study? Well, you're explaining okay, it. So, so that those that had the most homophobic attitudes responded most to homosexual porn via re- their penis. Whoa. Responded most, right. most, which you can't deny that. Right. Business. So responded, that's why we call it a truth most wiener. Positively, which right. which indicate this is within our first. And you can't. The penis never lies. You goddamn it, Ryan. <laughs> this is what I say. The wiener don't lie. <laughs> and so there's a saying on the show talking about a truth wiener that these guys like Brian Fisher, these people <sighs> like Kevin Swanson, these weirdos who are so anti-homosexual that they're truth wieners to me. Because <laughs> if you were to hook them up to whatever machine that is, the wiener don't lie. I think that they're... They, they doth protest too much. Too much. You know too what much. I mean? Well, there, there was a guy in Congress not too long ago who was a champion of a bill against child pornography, and he, he found was found out that he was, you know, it's just it's like that all the time. Mark Foley. His name's Mark Foley. Yeah. That guy. And then there's also Larry Craig from Idaho, my home state, Brittany's home state, who toe-tapping Minnesota airport. And you who's know? the pastor from Colorado Springs? Uh, same thing. I can see his face. Haggard. Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard. Yes. <laughs> He's looking a little haggard. I know all of the homo haters. So one thing before we move on, I want to say, though, because here's... We gotta, a- we, listen, we got to move on. Go ahead. This will be it. Because okay. we got we to end. Okay. We've- this is the last topic. Yeah. And I'm special enough to take it. Okay. Yes, so, you are. So what I'm most interested in about this, though, is how it's going to impact, you know, specifically millennials who are going away from religion, becoming more secular. In droves. And so... After the SCOTUS decision, for example, the Mormon church gave its first ever donation to the LGBTQ community center in Salt Lake City. Wow. Yeah, they gave a donation after the SCOTUS decision, which Jesse and I have talked about because in 1978, right, they had the revelation that blacks could be ordained into the priesthood. The prophet, of course, has the bat phone to God on his desk. Well, 1978 is a little late for that to happen, but that's okay. (laughs) So 1878 was a little late relative to a religious organization. Let's just wink at that for the moment. (laughs) Right. But so the Mormon church, after the SCOTUS decision, is giving a donation to an LGBT community center. I mean, that's huge, right? So we kind of feel like we feel like it's maybe laying the foundation for there to be another revelation coming up soon, maybe within the next decade of them accepting the LGBTQ community into their church. Now, with this decision, obviously, it's driving people away. Is that going to motivate people to continue to leave the religion and then that's going to change the culture within the Seventh-day Adventist church? Or is this going to take much more time? Will it be like the LDS church? They're going to change pretty rapidly or... I kind of think that the Seventh-day Adventist church is really married to this idea of the remnant. 
So for them, what is what do you mean the remnant? Right. So the remnant, you think about like you, if you go shopping for a carpet remnant, it's it's not the big bolt of carpet that was created by the manufacturer. It's the leftover little piece that might work fine for your hallway. Mm-hmm. And so the remnant is the 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 leftover, the small uh, part that's saved out of the whole. And and so Adventists have this remnant theology, which is to say there are all these Christians. But the Adventist church is the remnant, the chosen, the small chosen people who have the truth. And so in a way, the smaller they get, the more fulfilling their prophecy is. So as people leave the church for various reasons, basically what the message is, is that the, those that weren't really truly faithful have left and the true faithful ones have stayed. Wow. And so I think it's a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's almost Calvinist. They, yeah, they can justify their declining numbers by saying those that left were not really with us in the first place or the straw man kind of thing that I get all the time, like, oh, he was never really truly a believer. So I'm not sure that they really want... Someone suggested to me that the powers that be that orchestrated all of this thing about the women's ordination movement was that they suggested that they knew that people would leave the church after this decision and they're fine with it. So I don't know. that I don't know about that. I don't know that they're going to manipulate. I don't know. So because the money and the continuity is tied to the numbers. Of so, course. so I don't, I don't know how they're going to play this out. Like there's a theology to support the diminishment of the numbers. Cash is king. But cash is king. In in religion, whether it be any religion, whether it be Mormonism, which is is, is oftentimes talked about as, oh, we don't pay our pastors, and blah, 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 blah. It's still a wealthy, wealthy religion. Well, it's more money for them to hold on to That's if they, right. don't, they don't pay their pastors. <laughs> That's right. So in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, in the Joel Austin tradition, in the Josh Feuerstein uh, gold tradition... <laughs> Fuck that guy. I know, I know. Why does he always do videos in his car? <laughs> we're not going to... Listen, we've already gone anyway, way long. Anyway, sorry. Listen, we're going to wrap it up there. If you have any further questions for friend of the show, Ryan Bell, you need to call 657-464-7609. You can also email idoubtedatdollamore.com. Go like the Facebook page. His information... Yeah, so the the Facebook page, Year Without God Film, or just Year Without God. Oh, you were th- that's your blog. My my yeah, my blog is yearwithoutgod.com and the Facebook page for Year Without God is just Facebook.com slash Year Without God. Awesome. So go contact him if you have questions with him. He is seriously a a stalwart individual. I don't often try to get people on the show who are fly by night and and I, I'm not sure of their opinions. This is a guy who's been on the show many, many times who I admire, I respect, I love, I I want to see good things because he has good things to say. So that's going to be it. As always, we love you for listening. We appreciate you. Twice a week, it is a big deal. We We put out more content than any podcast I know who's not like a daily. And we have a loyal, loyal toot, audience. Toot. <laughs> That's me toot my own horn. Uh, we appreciate you and your dedication. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, you can go to the website, dollamore.com. On the left-hand side of the, the, the page there, there is a link to amazon.com. Which you're not going to spend any more money 
but every little bit goes a long way to, towards supporting your favorite show filled with news, news and ridiculous comment. The other way would be Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. You can donate 25 cents, 50 cents, $5,000 an episode, whatever amount you $1 can spare. dollars. If you're one of those people that I'm advocating not be taxed at a higher percentage <laughs> and you want to support the show, we would love your support. We appreciate you. We love you every time. Thank you, Ryan Bell. You're welcome. We, appreci great. we appreciate you showing up. No, it's been great to be here. I may move to Orange County. Oh, nice. For Brittany Page <laughs> and Ryan Bell, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Well, Ryan, you're already a bottle and a half <laughs> in. Right? I mean, <laughs> I set my request ahead. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.